You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Psalm chapter 1. I assume that everybody knows what's going on in my life, but I can't make that assumption anymore. So on October 11th, I married the wonderful woman next to my mom. Her name was Abby, Abby Hunt, and now her name is Abby Austin. And um, I've been enjoying being married. Um, being married is much better than being engaged. Uh, it's just there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's better in pretty much every way. And I think married people know that. But um, we've uh, I've been enjoying. Um, having that sweet connection with her of she knows everything about me and she still chooses to love me and she works with me and and she still uh, sometimes she needs to tell me when I'm doing something stupid and I feel like I have changed as a person in the better because of some of the things that she said so just to let you know we are doing great and I'm enjoying um, being married Uh, Psalm chapter 1 is another reminder, Psalm 1. I want to tell you that this this message is life-changing. And I guess I thought about saying that, and I'm like, well, you know, a lot of things at church are life-changing, so I I guess I shouldn't really say that. But I just want you to know that if if you do what this, if you follow this psalm and do what it instructs you to do, I, I, I promise you, but I don't need to promise you, God promises you, your life will change incredibly. It will change incredibly. If you activate the promise that we're going to talk about tonight. A gift that God has given me is the gift of a large imagination. Oftentimes we think of young children having a big imagination, and I feel like that my, my imagination never went away. Um, from when I was a child to now I'm an adult, I still have an imagination. And things I like to imagine or, or something like that, it is the answer to the question, if you had $5 million, what would you do with it? And when I hear that question, my imagination, whew, it soars. And I love hearing that question, like, what house would I buy? Mm, what would it look like? And my garage would look like a shed. Because of how many cars I have in there. Brand new, of course. Unless it's an old car. With Dakota Digital gauge, gauges inside of it, of course. Yeah. And, and all the things that I would do. And, and I know that Abby would have a, a closet just for her shoes. Obviously, of course. And I think of all of the... I, I think of what the house would be like. And, and, and I love... I don't know. Just my imagination really goes at it. Something that I don't ever think of, I never thought about this, what it takes to, to, I guess what it takes to get $5 million, the amount of work that it would take, the wisdom to be a business owner, to have a company for five million, worth $5 million, um, and things like that. I, just, I don't think about that. I don't think about the work it takes to get it. I just think about getting it. Another example is the Olympics are coming up. This year, 2020, Tokyo, and yep, I always cheer for Team USA, obviously, and I'm very excited for the Olympics coming. Some things that I like to do when I see the Olympics, I see uh, um, a man's, I'll just say, physique, and I think of putting my head on his body and what that would look like, and I think about how nice I would look with all the bulging muscles, if you will, and... I know Carlos thinks about the, the body of a boxer and, and a wrestler, probably. Probably Juan looks at the wrestlers and see how buff they are. And I never think about the work it takes to get that. I don't think about that. I'm not interested. And, and the discipline it takes to never knowing Taco Bell again and, and, and how hard that they work in their craft. These people work, you know, their lifetimes, and we're really only seeing a snapshot because the Olympics, I guess, are only for one month, and we're only seeing this four weeks of performance 
when they have been studying and working years, and an extreme long time. So I guess that was two examples of receiving the prize but doing none of the work. And then, and then my imagination goes at it. In Psalm chapter 1, God gives us a promise that is unimaginable that anyone would want to live without. And if you would just read the promise in Psalm 1 verse 3, Psalm 1 verse 3 says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. What jumped off the page was that last phrase or that last sentence, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Oh man, when I read that, my mind went off. And I'm like, wow, imagine, so I work on a farm. Imagine a farm where God promises you that whatever you do will prosper. Oh, the amount of money that we could make. And oh, the nice things that we would have. And oh, that would be so great. And then I thought about my marriage. What about a marriage where Abby and I have activated that whatever we do will prosper? Oh man, what marriage would look like that? Oh, that would be so nice. That would be so cool. And oh, everything would flow so well because this is a God promise. God has promised us this. And and I was so excited. And then I thought about a family that Abby and I have begun to start a family. I'm not announcing anything right now. Leave me, you know, leave it. But when we do, I, I wanted to make that clear, when we do, what would a family look like of Abby and I raising children with this promise, whatever we do will prosper? Oh man, how nice would that be? And I think, I think you can see where I'm going. God or the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living inside me was like, let's rein it in, Ryan, let's rein it in. And I was, I, I tell you, I was in the stratosphere. I was way, God said, let's rein it in, bring it on down. And I'm like, now wait a minute, God, now wait, wait, wait. This is a promise. You promised. You can't go back on your promise. And, and, and you are the ultimate promise keeper. I, I like, let's just stop right there. He's the ultimate promise keeper. He's never failed on a promise. And this is a promise. And the whole time I was coming down from the stratosphere, I was like, but God, but this is a promise. Come on. Like, there's no reason that I shouldn't be dreaming about this. And God kind of, he brought me down, calmed me down. And I kind of need to read. um, And he said something to this extent. This promise is great, but the action it takes to activate this promise is greater. It's not all about whatever you do will prosper. What it's all about is the daily steps it takes to receive this promise. And I mean daily steps. Because one of my biggest fears of preaching is being a hypocrite. Like this, I had to do this in my life first before I was able to preach it. You know what I mean? So I had to activate this first. And first, God had to show me that you know, once you take the steps that it takes to, to make this promise possible, then the promise will follow. The promise is kind of back here, and the steps it takes to, to make it happen is in the forefront. And I've had to remind myself about, I should be doing this, I shouldn't be doing that, so that I could make this promise happen in my life. And this is where I'm telling you that this is absolutely life-changing. If you can make this happen, and I know sometimes you come on a Wednesday night and you you don't expect something life-changing, but I I need to really portray it and tell you, this is life-changing. If you can do this, if you will trust God and His promise, you don't need to trust me. Don't even trust me. If you can trust God and His promise that what He promised you, and activate this and make this real in your life, your life will never be the same. All right, let's read Psalm chapter 1, the whole chapter. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, here are the three steps. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season." 
His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. All right, let's begin. Um, as you might have guessed, I'm just kind of, I'm staying in Psalm 1 tonight, and we're just going to talk about or learn Psalm 1 tonight. So let's start first with um, the first step. Well, actually, I want to start with the first word, blessed. Blessed. Blessable. Um, happy. Correct. Blessed. Blessable. Um, Psalm chapter 1 is instructions on how to be blessed. Instructions on how you want to God to bless you. And, and that can be, I guess, in the, another part of my introduction, is that Psalm 1, semicolon, instructions on how to be blessable. And this is also compared to a parent with their children. And Miss Renita, good to see you tonight. Um, Miss Renita and, and Brother Dana, they love their kids. And they want to bless their kids. No doubt about that. Miss Tina Lippert. Good to see you tonight. And Miss Tina and Mark love Ben and John and their grandchildren, and they want to bless them. And I can go family to family. Miss Sandy Collins and Clarence, they love their kids. And Miss Olga, um, they, I mean, they take Carlos to fighting, to boxing. They take Emmanuel to wrestling, and they take Angie to guitar lessons and singing lessons, right? They still do. They want to bless their kids. They want to. But sometimes, to the same people, Miss Renita, Miss Sandy, Olga, and uh, there was someone else, I feel like, Tina. Sometimes, they are not blessable. Sometimes, you have to be mom. I spoke to all women. <laughs> you have to be mom, and you have to say no. You have to say no. You can't build a ramp and jump over the house. You can't do that. You have to be blessable. In Psalm chapter 1, in this Again, another introduction I guess I'm giving is instructions on how to be blessable. These are the instructions that God gives us to be blessable, that to, for God to bless us. Blessed, it starts with blessed. Blessed is the man, let's continue the verse. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I'm going to pick on two words in this um, in this first step, this is the first step to activating the promise. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. First, I want to pick on the word ungodly. The word ungodly shows up four times in these six verses. And it's a pretty prominent word. And I wrote down every time it shows up, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so. Verse 5, therefore the ungodly shall not stand. Verse 6, the way of the ungodly shall perish. It comes up again and again. So let's first define this word ungodly. So the definition that often we use in the 21st century is something so ugly, so vile, so wicked, so bad that we cannot think of another adverb to give it. So then we give it the word ungodly. That is ungodly. And that's the, how we use that word. In Psalm chapter 1, that is not the definition of ungodly. The definition of ungodly in Psalm chapter 1, un is not, and godly, is, I guess, is godly. Or let's say God's way. Something that is not God's way is ungodly. Very, very simple, very easy. Now, is this possible for Christians? Well, I would say yes. Have you made a decision that was not God's way? I sure have. As a saved person, I sure have. And so that means I've done something that was ungodly. And then, um, yes, this is available for Christians. And um, any Christian that commits a sin, you've done something ungodly. It's pretty fair to say. Now, uh, I want to bring your attention. I'm going to kind of go off. But go down to verse 4, Psalm 1, 4. There's the word ungodly again. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Now, ungodly means not God's way. The not God's way people 
are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind driveth away. So I am new to the farming business. If you know me, you know that I'm new to the farming business, and I am the, I was the definition of a person from the city, and everything was new to me. It's still new, really. It's exciting. And um, I miss being out on a tractor. These winter days are just getting slow. But um, there was a day that we were harvesting the corn. It was, in, it was in November. We were harvesting the corn. Two guys were in, two different guys were in two different combines. Two different guys were in two different grain carts. And so the combine, I will say this quickly, the combine would shoot it into the grain cart. The grain cart will bring it to me in the tractor that I'm sitting in. And then in my tractor was a chute that it would shoot the grain in. And then I had what was called a large field bag, is that we were bagging this corn. And when I say bag, I want you to think massive, that it was probably 13 feet wide, but the length was like three football fields. Not a joke. It was huge. And um, that was my job that day. I was controlling the tractor, um, bringing up the RPMs to make the PTO spin, to make the auger spin, to accept the corn that was coming in. All right, there. And it was on that day that I learned what corn chaff is. It's that red dust. It's a red dust that covers the kernel, and it protects the kernel. And, you know, I I had to look this stuff up. I don't want you to think I'm so smart. I had to look this stuff up. It's, the, it's a red dust that covers the kernel. And then when we were shooting it, when we were pushing it through the auger, that red dust went, and it went everywhere. And I mean everywhere. It went on the ground. It went on the tractor, inside of the tractor, outside of the tractor. It got in my hair. It got in my sunglasses. It got down my shirt. It was annoying. And it was extremely unstable. It was just, it was dust. And Psalm 1 verse 3 is a great promise. It's a great promise. Psalm 1 verse 4 is another promise. He says, if you don't live your life like this, if you live your life the ungodly, the not God's way, your life will be as unstable as corn, chaff, dust. And you will be pushed around and taken here, there, and anywhere. And I know that the joke in South Dakota is that the wind never stops blowing in South Dakota. Well, we're your neighbors in Iowa. I'm, I live in Iowa. We're your neighbors in Iowa. And the wind doesn't stop blowing there either. <laughs> and, and, and just like this corn chaff dust, you'll be tossed to and fro and everywhere. Because your life will be so extremely unstable. And let's just read that again. The ungodly are not so. They aren't blessed. They aren't like verse 3. But they are like this corn chaff dust that the wind pushes and drives away. That's what your life is going to be if you do not follow and activate this promise of Psalm 1 in your life. All right. Now, let's go back to Psalm 1-1. And look at the promise. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now now that we know what the word ungodly means, now the key word is counsel. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The counsel would be advice. It's anything that you take in. It's it's anything that you receive. People, um, (coughs) excuse me, sorry. People receive advice in two ways, and that's with their eyes and with their ears. And it is 100% up to you where and how you receive your counsel. Anyone that wants to counsel you are aiming for those two things. And the thing that I thought about was TV advertisements. And it doesn't matter what one. Man, you know what? I'm happy to watch TV and not see the billion auto advertisements anymore. I'm in Sioux City now. I don't need to see those. Those are dumb. But let me, let me make a comparison. They're bright. They're bright. They're flashing. Everything looks good. Everything looks appealing. Well, duh, we're trying to sell a product. Yes, everything looks bright. Everything looks appealing. Second, it's loud. It's annoyingly loud. And I think, I actually, don't quote me on this, but I thought that there was a law that passed that said that TV commercials can't bump up their volume louder than your regular 
show, cable show, but they're loud. And they are begging for your attention. They want your attention more than anything. And that is very much like the way the world wants to counsel us. And I find it kind of funny and ironic that sometimes it's people who don't have the experience want to counsel you. They want to give you the advice. The, uh, a single person wants to give you married advice. You know, or it, it just kind of, it, sometimes it just doesn't make sense to me. But God says the first thing you need to do is watch where you are getting your counsel from and not following the counsel of the ungodly, the not God's way. Um, so I'm, I go off of my notes and then I come back to my notes. <laughs> when God counsels me, there we go. When God counsels me, it's in, this, it's in the still small voice. So I'm, what I want to make a comparison is the way the world counsels you, I, you could make a direct comparison of the opposite. And that's how God counsels you. Sometimes we question, maybe as a teenager or as a young person, how do I know when God's talking to me? How do I know that, are, are you sure that that's God? I'll just tell you in my experience, it is the difference between the way you receive all the other counsel. This counsel is quiet. This counsel is sure. This counsel is correct. Um, the, it's in a still small voice, and it is nowhere near how the world counsels you. I want to make you a promise tonight that we are doing everything that we can. I'm doing everything I can to keep your attention. That's why sometimes I say something funny. I keep your attention. And I'm trying to keep your eyes, and I'm trying to keep your ears for the purpose of what we're here for, the glory and worship of God. That's what we're here for. I'm just, I'm, and then I'm trying to counsel you. And Psalm 1-1, you are blessed, blessed, you are blessed if you take in the counsel of what is godly and you do not put in the counsel of the ungodly, the not God's way. Now, everyone wants your eyes and your ears. Everyone wants to counsel you. And, and I guess the, it begs the question, let's, let us reflect, where did I put my eyes and my ears last week? And I would say in my, in my, in my life, this one has been the most difficult for me, of where am I putting my eyes and my ears? And giving the question, is that godly? And the other, the other steps, you can be different than me, you can be different than me. The other steps I found in my, in, in my walk with God easier to, to complete when um, this one was more difficult. Is that the right song you should be listening to? Is that the right TV show that you should be watching? And I, and I told you before, I had to do this in my own life before I could preach it. And this one was the one that I feel like knocked me. It is in your private times of where are you putting your eyes and your ears and where are you getting your counsel from. Today we are bombarded with counsel, social media, internet, magazine, newspaper, TV, radio, advertisements. They all want your eyes and they all want your ears. And the first step into activating the promise of Psalm 1 verse 3 is to not walk in the counsel of the not God's way stuff. Now, um, I have two verses I want you to turn to, so I decided to do it this way. If you are a male, I want you to turn to 1 John 2.15. That's how I'm going to split it up tonight. Male and female. 1 John 2.15. If you are a female, 2 Corinthians 6.17. Male, 1 John 2.15. Female, 2 Corinthians 6.17. I'm glad I think I still have all of your attention. I'm glad, I, I'm glad this is going well. Have your attention. I understand Wednesday nights. We, I, I am, I'm tempted on Wednesday nights to stay home and to relax. And that couch looks extra comfy on a Wednesday night. And then sometimes I feel like that work goes a little bit harder on a Wednesday. And then it takes just a little bit more to go to church. Appreciate that you're here, and I just want to make sure that we still have your attention, still having your eyes and your ears to counsel. 
1 John 2.15. All the ladies, um, let's read that. I'll, I'll just read it out loud. 1 John 2.15. Did I say that wrong? Oh, I'm sorry. Huh? Oh, the guys have that. Excuse me. All the men. All the men. Thank you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes. All of the men. 1 John 2.15. It says... Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loveth the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I actually went one step too fast. Um, step one is done. Step two, Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Step two, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Step two, nor standeth in the way of sinners. Now, the men read their verse. Um, this one is pretty simple. This, this, it, it doesn't take a lot of explanation. The world is full of people who sin. Do not be like them. The world is full of people who sin. Do not be like them. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 2 Corinthians 6.17, all the females have that. 2 Corinthians 6.17 Wherefore, says this, Wherefore, come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and do not touch the unclean thing, and I will receive you. There. So both verses had to do with separation, making a clean break, if you will. The second step into activating this promise in your life is to not be like those who sin. There should be a distinct and clear difference between a Christian, a person who is saved, and a person who is not. And that is the second way, to, the second step to activating this promise. This is clear. Living our lives separated from sinners should be clear. It should be distinct. It should not even require explanation. There is a verse in the Bible that says, be ready to answer them every time they ask. But also, it should be clear that somebody shouldn't have to... Is that a Christian? I'm not sure. I, I, the Word of God, I think Psalm 1 is like, there should be the distinction. The distinction should be there. The, the obviousness, if you will. Hope that's a word. The obviousness that there is something different about that person. And before you even witness to them... They just had a funny feeling that, I bet that's a Christian. That is the second step. Nor stands in the way of, like, so the word, the Bible says, in the way. You could say like, nor stands like sinners. Now, I want, I want to make a point, but I want you to listen very closely to my words, okay? I want to make a point, but I want you to listen closely, because if, if your mind goes off, you will hear me say something that might not be true. Something I want to point out is oftentimes we emphasize, the word emphasize, oftentimes we emphasize separation in the way we dress and not in the way we act. Many Baptist churches seem more interested in looking the part than rather than being the part that they are supposed to be. In Washington, D.C., we see a lot of crimes committed by men wearing suits and women wearing dresses. Separation should start with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, making us more and more like Him, or more and more holy. And when you are doing that, listening to and adhering to the Holy Spirit, saying yes to the Holy Spirit when He tells you, something to do or making that decision in that moment to say yes to the Holy Spirit, you will act more holy and the way we dress will reflect what was started by the Holy Spirit inside of us first. Is the way we present ourselves in our clothing important? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I'm wearing a suit tonight on purpose. I wanted to present myself in a good way. But I do not wear this suit 
to look nice. I wear this suit because I love God and I, and I believe that this is what God would want the preacher to wear or the, somebody behind the pulpit to wear. I respect this. And that's why I'm wearing this. And also that the Holy Spirit started that first, though. The Holy Spirit first had to show me and tell me what was acceptable. And then I went from there. So sep- what, the point I guess I'm trying to make is separation is not all about the looks. And I feel like that's, it's, it's easy to do. It is easy to put on a suit but not have the right attitude. It is easy to put on a dress and not be right with God in the first place. And we can put on a good facade at church when things are really not going right in our lives. And that's kind of the point I'm trying to put across. So let's start with separation. It's, it's you know, Psalm 1 tells us to be different than sinners. This starts with saying yes to the Holy Spirit, with saying yes to that Holy Spirit living inside of you, giving you direction. This is different from all of us. We have high schoolers in here, and then we have, we have people who are retired. This is different for all of us, but we still have that same Holy Spirit giving us what we should do and what we should say. All right. Tried my best to help you understand what I'm saying. All right. So something I like to do is that when, when I got in trouble as a kid, when you tell me not to do something, I want you to tell me to do something. So in Psalm 1, we told you, do not stand in the way of sinners. Do not do that. Do not be like them. Now, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Ephesians 6.19, I'll just say it. Ephesians 6.19 says, To make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador. To make known the mystery of the gospel to which, for which I am an ambassador. I am to make people know the gospel by which I represent. To make known the gospel as I am an ambassador, I am a representation of Christ, of that gospel. To make people know that. So if I am not supposed to stand in the way of sinners, what am I supposed to do? I am supposed to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That is the, that is the what am I supposed to do. Very quickly, I thought of the United States ambassadors um, and what I hope for them. My biggest hope for them is that they represent us well. That's probably my biggest hope for a United States ambassador. I hope they make good decisions. I hope that um, we are allies with where they're stationed, or they might be in charge of helping us become allies where they are stationed. But I still think that, in, in, I guess in my opinion, I still think that my number one thing, I just hope you represent the United States well. I hope you represent it the way we would want it represented. And I hope the same for each and every Christian. When we use that word Christian, when we use that word saved, and, and we are ambassadors, we are representations of Jesus Christ. And each of us, I, I, I promise you, the whole congregation, my biggest hope is that you are representing Christ. You are representing not only Christ, but this church. You are representing us well. Each and every place where you are. We go to different places we can't be in contact with different people. And as an ambassador of Christ, spreading and teaching and telling the gospel, you are the representation. And I hope that now, do not stand in the way of sinners. Step two, I'll just reflect. Step two, do not stand in the way of sinners, but instead be an ambassador, be a representation of the gospel and Jesus Christ. That's step two. Step one, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. I want you to turn back to Psalm 1, please. Sorry about that. Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel, the advice of the ungodly, the not God's way, nor standeth in the way of sinners. And the third and final step to activating the promise of Psalm 1 verse 3. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. What is the scornful? 
Now, that's the key word in that one. What is the scornful? A complainer, a griper, an unhappy camper, a criticizer. Have we forgotten that it is a sin to complain? Have we forgotten that it is a sin to gripe? I want to give you two facts that I have found in my study. Two facts. Um, The first fact I will say, and then I have it reworded because it's kind of, it confused me when I first read it. Two facts to share about what the Bible has to say about complaining. Fact number one. Concerning the Old Testament, God killed more of His people for complaining compared to any other sin times three. Now, when I first read that, I'll be honest with you, when I first read that, it confused me. So I reworded it. So I'm going to give you the same exact fact, just the words flipped. And that's, I guess, advice to somebody. If you don't understand something in the Bible, or you don't understand something you read, it helps me that if I turn the words around or flip the words around, sometimes I can, sometimes I can find what it's saying. So this is reworded. God killed three times more people for complaining compared to any other sin. Wow, that's a lot. Imagine if God would kill people today for complaining. Imagine how many funerals there would be if we only had people to do them. There you go. Yep, you're still awake. Still paying attention. All right. Fact number two. Fact number two. When someone complains, when a Christian complains, or I guess an unsaved person, when someone complains, they are committing over 130 sins at one time. I don't have them all listed, but I have some. Some are obvious. Rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. This is the day the Lord hath made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We aren't following what the Bible says when we're complaining and when we're griping and criticizing. Then um, I had another one, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is far from somebody who complains. Um, Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. People who are those things, I find, are the people who do not complain. And I want you to to get this. If you're taking notes, write this down. I want you to get this. The sin is not complaining too much. The sin is not complaining too much. The sin is complaining at all. I saw some of you nod your heads that you knew. There's no such thing as too much. It's just at all. It should be far from a Christian's language, from a Christian's mouth, criticizing, griping, and complaining. This is the third step that we need to do to activate the promise. Satan rejoices exceedingly when God's people complain. So I spoke, I want to tell you something personal, and I feel like it's okay. I spoke with God, I spoke I spoke with God in my prayers. I watch it. I can listen. I can listen. I spoke with God in my prayers, and I'm like, God, I do not see myself as somebody that consistently complains. But I also don't want to say that I have this one nailed down. So would it be possible, would you show me where in my life that I could be be in the seat of the scornful? And what do you bet? It didn't take God very long. (laughs) What do you bet? It was pretty easy. It was a a few days later. It was a few days later. And now I want to test if we have, I have your attention. Uh, I want to ask you a question and raise your hand. Have you ever been at work and you were asked to do something you did not want to do? That's me. I've been there. I did not want to do what I was asked to do. And I'm not going to tell you the details, but it's very simple. I did not want to do what I was asked to do. And in my mind, I'm like, this is stupid. This is dumb. There are better things to do. There are always things to do on a farm. And I can think of ten things better to do than compared to what my superiors told me to do. 
And there was no missing it. There was no skipping it. I had to suck it up and do it. And I was not, not happy. So I was doing that project. And as we were driving, God says, get out of the seat of the scornful. And I replied to God and I'm like, I didn't complain. I didn't. And that's the truth. It's the truth. I didn't say one word of complaining. I didn't say this is dumb, this is stupid to my superiors. I didn't say that. And God says, I can smell the stench of your attitude way up here. And man, that nailed me. That, that got me. My attitude was wicked. It was bad. And I was, I, my mind was going off with ways I can tell off my superior. It was going off with ways I can, sarcastic, hurtful comments that I could make. And God says, you're in that seat. You're in the seat of the scornful. And you need to get out. If we're going to activate this promise and make this promise real in your life, get out. I said, okay, I'll, I'll quit complaining. I'll, I'll quit having a bad attitude. And I really remember it just as this, that God compared it, or the Holy Spirit speaking to me, compared it to garbage, a stinky, bad garbage that the Holy Spirit could smell from a mile away. Man, that was such conviction in my life. So now this is to say that getting out of the seat of the scornful is not only complaining, but it is our attitudes. And it is our faces that we are a billboard for Jesus Christ. That we're ambassadors. Just like we're ambassadors. We are advertising Jesus Christ. And I like to be so kind and thankful to waiters and waitresses and people who I come in contact with because I've been convicted on this that I am portraying Jesus Christ in what I do. And we cannot have this sour, wicked attitude. And you know what? The teenagers sitting down here, you guys get picked on for having a bad attitude and um, don't do it. Don't have a bad attitude. Please don't. Um, Teenagers oftentimes get picked on for having it, but... The who is accountable to the adults, I guess. I just, I just go home to Abby. I don't go home to my parents anymore. And my, parent, my mom can't tell me, you leave that attitude at the door, young man. She's not there anymore. And with the majority of us in here, there's actually no one to be accountable to. Maybe your spouse. But there's actually no one to be accountable to when you have a sick and bad attitude. And I found that this is the Holy Spirit. That's been the Holy Spirit in my life, saying that's enough. You know where, I, where else I get a bad attitude? It's when I'm driving, and some stupid people do some stupid things. And I used to say, man, are you from Iowa? You must be from Iowa, you dumb driver. But now I have an Iowa license plate on my vehicle. So now I say something like, ah, you must be from Des Moines, you dumb driver. You're terrible. Learn how to drive. And God has actually came to me in my vehicle and said, no, stop that. Get out. Get out of the scene of the scornful. I'm like, you know what? All right, I'm not running late. All right, I'll slow it down. I won't be so aggressive. Abby thinks I'm an aggressive driver. I think I'm a good driver. I won't be so aggressive. I'll tone it down. And that's some places where God has showed me, no, no, you can't do that. You got to stop. Get out of the seat of the scornful. Don't have that bad attitude. All right. Being in the seat of the scornful is not only your words, but it's your attitude. Um, oh, here I want to make a comparison. I'm going to keep going on this point. I want to make a comparison. I want you to bring to your mind um, people that you find, uh, real people that are holy men and holy women in your life. And I really mean this. I hope I have your attention. Bring to your mind holy men or holy women in your life. Somebody that, wow, that person has a connection with God. Bring that to your mind. And some of the names that I thought of are Phil Spencer, Dr. Elmer Holsell, Brother Byers, Bob and Bessie Black, 
and Dahlia Johnson. Those are some of the names that I thought of, men and women who are so close to God that have been in my life. Now, what do these people have in common? So I, I had you think about those people and put, I mean, put them straight in your mind. Put them right here. What do these people have in common? Because I could grab your, your person and put them, let's just make an imaginary bubble right here. You know, let's use our imaginations. Imaginary bubble. And we're going to put the name of that person in this bubble. And I named the names of the people in my life. They're in this bubble. And the names of your people, that people I don't know, people from, from your childhood, somebody, putting them in this bubble. These people have many things in common. But I would find this, that these people are not complainers. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. I see you shaking your head. <laughs> Holy people. People intimate and close with God. I mean, Pastor Spencer, I miss him. And things that I would say about him, I would say humble. Words to describe. Humble. Caring. Not a complainer. Absolutely not. Brother Holso was sick for a long time. And you know, he would pray for me. He would pray for my family. Not a complainer. Mm-mm, not a complainer. I can say the same about Miss Dahlia Johnson, sick for a long time. And if you see the post that she would put on Facebook, I don't, I don't want to say these names to make us get emotional. I'm just saying these names because this has been true in my life. So I'm just saying these names because this has been true in my life. These people, her example of what she showed me, Oh man, she was not a complainer. She was not. These people are not complainers. These close people with God, intimate with God, they are not complainers. And I would give this advice to you. If you want to be on the fast track to, you know, what's the next step I can take Ryan to be closer to God? You know, what's the next thing I could do? I would actually point out this. What are you doing with complaining? Are you having a bad attitude? And eliminating that in my own life, I have definitely felt a closer, consi- more, closer, more consistent walk with God. Once I have eliminated complaining and these sick and sour attitudes. And man, the Holy Spirit talks to me all the time. Say, nope, you, no, that's, that's not worth complaining over. That's not, I want you to imagine... I want you to imagine that is not worth losing this promise. And that can be said with any of these. Putting my eyes and ears somewhere, that's not worth losing that promise. That's not worth sinning against God. And then the next one, being like sinners, is not worth. It's not worth it. When God has given us this real, actual promise. And then lastly... Man, complaining's not worth it. It's having that bad attitude for a little season of time is not worth um, sacrificing what God has promised me. Um, I, I think I have the time. I want to add one more thing. I don't want to beat this to death, but I want to stay on this. Complaining in a Christian's mouth should be as far away as cursing. That we don't walk around the church um, of Eastside Baptist Church saying God's name in vain. I've never heard someone say that. I've, been, I've, I've attended this church for 20 years. I was a member for at least 22, I think. 22 years I was a member, or maybe more. Um, and I have not heard people in the sanctuary curse or take God's name in vain. And in the fellowship hall, I've not heard that. But I have heard people complain. I have heard people gripe. And... <laughs> Something kind of funny, I've wondered what pastor's job, how it would be different if Eastside Baptist Church said, I'm getting out of the seat of the scornful. I'm, I've had enough of that. I'm not going to complain anymore. And I just believe, I've, I really want to do a study on what I call the Christian's language, how a Christian should speak. And I just believe that complaining should be in the same realm as cursing. It should be out of there. Shouldn't be near your mouth. And imagine how pastor's job would be different. (laughs) In Psalm chapter 1, here's the conclusion. 
in Psalm chapter 1, God gives us three steps to follow and then a promise. You need to watch where you're putting your eyes and your ears. And where are you getting your counsel from? And the word ungodly, the not God's way. Are you putting your eyes and ears there? The second thing you need to do, there needs to be a clear and distinct difference between you and sinners. You need to be reminded that you are an ambassador, a representation of Jesus Christ everywhere you go, in your, in your good times and in your bad times, to your family, to anyone. And the last thing you need to do is to get out of the seat of the scornful. I've had enough complaining. I've had enough of this bad attitude. I haven't, I haven't, Lord, I haven't complained. I haven't said a word. Leave the attitude at the door and maybe have your, maybe have your spouse or somebody close to you watch your attitude. Sometimes I feel a sour attitude coming on and I'm like, I don't even know what made me mad. It's just feeling mad for some reason. Have enough of it. It's not worth dropping this promise. Now, I want you to go to Psalm 1, verse 3. Psalm 1, verse 3. Let's read that promise one more time. We've studied the steps it takes to activate it. So the decision, I guess, for the rest of the week, the life-changing decision is choosing day by day to take these steps to activate the promise. Psalm 1, verse 3 Um, I believe you're all awake. I believe you're all attentive, and I thank you for that. Let's all say it out loud. Let's all say it out loud, and then we'll go to our prayer time. Psalm 1, verse 3. Begin. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.